It was just amazing to me that people would watch a television show about a bunch of animal abusers and then believe the lies that were being told. Hey, it's Rob Moore here. Welcome to Disruptors. I'm very excited. In fact, my wife is very excited. My wife never watches me, never listens to me. And she said, Carol Baskin, tell, tell Carol we are Team Carol. So we have here on the Disruptors show, Carol Baskin, of course, famous from Tiger King. Carol, thanks a lot for um, doing the show. Really appreciate it. Well, hey, all you cool cats and kittens, especially your wife, who is such a cool kitten. So, Carol, I've got to start by saying, how has the Netflix show Tiger King changed your life? How was your life before and how is it now? Wow. Yeah. Um, the first three months were hell and it was just amazing to me that people would watch a television show about a bunch of animal abusers and then believe the lies that were being told by the animal abusers about the person who was trying to stop them from hurting animals. And so for three months, my phone just rang nonstop with people cursing and swearing and threatening me and threatening my family and telling me they wanted to burn the place to the ground and kill all the animals. But when one good side of all of this has been that because of the media attention, mostly wanting just to glom on to all of the hatred and pander to that in their audiences, it's given me the opportunity to actually talk about the animals and the fact that we are likely to lose the tiger in the wild in the next five years if we don't stop the cub petting. So it's been a opportunity to get the message out that I didn't have before, but it's been a painful process to get there. And, you know, when you said you had all the um, hate and abuse and everything else, how did you handle that? Have you ever experienced anything like that before? And how did you handle it emotionally? I've only experienced it at the hands of animal abusers. They can't talk about the issues. So the only thing they can do is say hateful things and repeat each other's hateful lies and try to divert the attention away from the animals. But I've never had the public take the position that these people were correct in anything that they had said. So that was what was totally shocking to me. And as far as emotional, I mean, I don't take it personally because these people don't know me and they don't know any better, but it was really sad to see that so, so many people were so easily fooled. What would you say, if you could, was the best thing that came out of Tiger King fame and the worst thing that came out of Tiger King? The best thing is that when I would go to lobby Congress for the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which is a bill that bans cub petting and phases out private ownership, most of the people in Washington, D.C. didn't believe that this whole industry even existed. <laughs> so thankfully, after seeing Tiger King, they do know that there is a handful of people who are speed breeding tigers, ripping the cubs away and using them as pay to play props. They didn't know that before. And now that they know it, they're stepping up and supporting our bill. We have 252 co-sponsors in the House right now, and um, which is more than we've ever had before. It's more than a majority. So we know it'll pass in the House. And the Senate is picking up steam every day. I'm actually going back to D.C. next week to lobby. And the worst thing? I think the worst thing has been the impact on my family because... We had worked for 30 years to build one of the most influential and respected sanctuaries in the world. And one of the big takeaways that people had from watching Tiger King was they couldn't tell the difference between a sanctuary that rescues animals from abuse and a zoo that is constantly breeding and exploiting animals and then discarding them. And I think that the the producers of Tiger King did a huge disservice to everybody who is in the rescue community trying to end the abuses. How true to life was um, Tiger King, the documentary, in terms of, you know, the, um, the industry and how it was all depicted? We worked with the producers for five years. And what we had done was when they came to us, they said what they wanted to do was a film called Stolen World or Stolen Wildlife, I forget exactly. And the whole concept of it would be how there are these people who are buying and breeding and selling and exploiting wild animals. And so when they came to us, they said they wanted to do something that would be the equivalent of blackfish for big cats. Did you see blackfish? Mm -hmm. And so- okay. <laughs> 
Yeah, when people saw that, they didn't want to go see orcas or dolphins in swimming pools anymore because they understood how cruel it was. And so we were explaining to them who all of these people were that were exploiting the cats and how this was causing the extinction of the tiger in the wild. And for five years, every time they called up, we were like, sure, come on over. We'll talk to you. We'll introduce you to all of the experts in the field. And right up until the last year before the show that they finally produced came out, I think that they were actually planning on doing that. They said it was, uh, they were trying to get it sold to CNN. And right at the last minute, CNN, for some reason, didn't buy it. And so I think once they did that, they didn't have a legitimate documentary type platform for it to go to. And I think they changed the entire thing to turn it into something that would be entertaining for Netflix. I don't know that for sure, but it's it's just, it was <laughs> just so far from what we had been working on and the tone right. of it to see. In fact, when the teasers came out for it, we were involved with a number of other filmmakers at the time, Mike Weber, who did the conservation game and Michael Samstag, who did Hidden Tiger. And so when we saw these trailers coming out for something called Tiger King, we called everybody and we were like, who's doing that show? Because everybody in Hollywood knows each other and nobody was talking about who was doing that show. And then it turned out to be Eric Good. So it was, it was such a disappointment. And what was disappointing about it? The glorification, the personification or yeah, what was disappointing about it? I think the biggest thing that was disappointing was that it was such a missed opportunity. They had five years of gathering footage of the egregious abuse at these facilities, the horrible conditions, all of the whistleblowers that were talking about how this was a horrible thing, all of the experts who would explain that none of this captive breeding is serving any kind of conservation value. And instead, they turned it into a made-up feud between me and Joe Schreibogel. I've never even spoken to Joe. And so the whole idea of this thing being um, based on this feud was just absolute ridiculous, ridiculousness. And it, it just, it could have been so much more. And instead, it was wildly entertaining, apparently, to people that were locked in their homes. But it really did not give them the full understanding of just how abusive this whole industry is and what it's doing to the tiger in the wild. Mm. I'd like to come and talk about that, the industry in a moment, but um, why do you think it was so, I mean, everyone was talking about it, everyone, it just went crazy. Why do you think it captured the attention of the masses? I think it was the timing more than anything. Everybody had just been told that there was a a pandemic that was sending us all to our rooms <laughs> for the bad way that we have treated nature. And then you have this one person who comes into their living room and says, everything that's wrong in the world, everything that's bad in the world, it's all Carol Baskin's fault. And I think it gave people somebody to blame. If you think, if you look at the memes from that period of time, I'd say probably half of the memes were talking about me causing COVID. And that's... <laughs> If there's anybody who could have prevented COVID, it would have been me preaching the fact that we shouldn't be getting in close contact with wild animals. So the whole the whole thing was just timing based on people being scared and bored and locked in their rooms. And then this weird freak show of a program. Mm. Carol, you seem so balanced and um, calm and considered and um, wise to the experience, but for, I kind of not imagine what it would feel like to have half the world memeing about you, calling you a murderer, saying that, um, you know, COVID was your fault. You know, did you ever have any dark moments and how did you stay mentally strong through that? I didn't have any mentally dark moments about it. I, the... It, you know, the things that people say about you do not define who you are. If I said that you caused COVID, you're going to be like, no, I didn't. And you're not going to take that personally because you didn't cause COVID. Uh, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to take those kinds of things personally. 
But where it did really affect me was the fact that for three months with my phone ringing nonstop, I couldn't do the work that I typically do. And that is, I'm on call for the state of Florida. If a bobcat gets hit by a car or shot by a hunter, we'll go anywhere in the state of Florida, pick that cat up, nurse it back to health, and then release it back to the wild. And for three months, I had to turn my phone off because I could not sleep for all of the people calling to swear at me and tell me how much they hated me. Wow. Well, I just, <laughs> I'd have been crying in my bedroom for a year, probably, if that had happened to me. But um, if someone is going through a tough time like that, you know, what words of guidance could you give them? I think you have to stay focused on what's positive. And the positive that has come out of this is that it has sparked a lot of conversation. And while most of that conversation may be wrong and may be stupid, it's still cause the conversation to happen. And that opens the opportunity for educating people. So if people are um, saying things about you that are trying to, if they're trying to tear you down, I think that says more about the person that's saying those kinds of things clearly than the person that they're trying to tear down. And it never looks good for anybody to be tearing someone else down because if I say something horrible about you, people aren't going to think horrible things about you. They're going to think, wow, I, I sure hope she doesn't talk about me like that when I'm not around. So it, it's just, you know, it's just bad for the hearts of the, the personalities and the hearts of the people who are saying those kinds of things. Mm. So you said something that really piqued my interest there, Carol. You said that um, COVID, because of how we treated nature, what did you mean by that? Well, I think Mother Nature sent us all to our rooms for the horrible ways we've treated this planet. We have polluted and pillaged and we have eaten our way across this planet to the point where we are destroying it. We're looking at a sixth mass extinction because of human activities. And we have to stop it right now. We have to stop eating animals. We have to stop polluting, stop burning those fossil fuels. We need to really think about the kind of planet that we are leaving to our children and our grandchildren. I, I don't even know whether or not there will be food sources for today's grandchildren that are on the ground. And I'm really thankful that my daughter does not have any plans of having children because we're not leaving them a healthy planet the way we're going right now. Wow, you you think we've hurt the planet that much? I do. Mm. What's the solution to that? You know, one of the things that I think is a step in the right direction. It's not the solution. If I had the solution, I'd be I'd be um, I'd be doing it. <laughs> but I think a step in that direction is to monetize wild animals in the wild. And if the only way that you or your kids could ever see a tiger would be through virtual reality, through seeing them on a headset, um, in a headset or on their phone or on TV, where they are seeing these animals in the wild doing what they do from live streaming cameras. And if those cameras were monetized, just like having a subscription to Netflix, and the money, the lion's share of that money was actually going through smart contracts on the blockchain back into the wallets of the people who live by tigers or live by jaguars so that they have a, a monetary incentive to protect those animals and to protect those uh, wild spaces that we need for clean air and clean water. Then we have some way of creating more equality around the world because the people who live next to those animals are usually some of the poorest people in the world and they're just wanting to feed their families and themselves. And it, if we're protecting all of that space and we're using much better ways of feeding ourselves than the factory farming and the sort of things that we're doing now by virtue of the fact of having access to better better opportunities, better ways of feeding our families, then I think that can be a step that can save the planet. Thank you. Um, Carol, why do you think that the um, exotic animal industry is seems from our side of the world 
through Tiger King to be so ruthlessly competitive? I, I, I didn't know that it was seen as being ruthlessly competitive. I, most of the people that I know from the other side of the world, when I think of the UK, um, they have a much, much more evolved way of thinking of animals. They banned these kinds of things back in the 70s. They are decades ahead of the US when it comes to getting rid of circuses and private ownership of big cats and many of those types of things. So I, I, I wasn't aware that there was. Now, yeah, sorry, to be more clear, why is it still like that in America if it's not here in the UK? Why is it ruthlessly competitive and why are the animals treated like that? And you know, many of us have only got a perception based on what we were fed through Tiger King, but yeah, it seemed like a crazy industry. Yeah, um, I think it's because America prides itself on being kind of rebellious and of, you know, being like the government can't tell me what to do. We have guns here. We have a total lack of control of the guns here. And so I think, I think it's a lot like that. People feel like they have the right to own guns. They have the right to own tigers. They have the right to own cobras, whatever they want to own. And they're not looking toward whether or not that right that they may or may not have is really the best thing for all of us. And that's why we're working on a federal bill. We've worked with other agencies to try and get state bills passed and you know, 20 years ago, there was probably only four or five states that banned the private ownership of big cats. And now there's only four or five that don't. But still, I think we need a federal bill to finally close that gap. And there's only maybe five or six people out there that are still doing the cub petting, which I think is the most egregious form of abuse toward exotic if you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. So you said earlier that, um, you know, maybe COVID was how we treated Mother Nature. We're, we're locked down and the world's changed and we're dealing with this new virus. Have you seen a difference in people? Has it humbleized people? Has it made people um, more aware and more caring in, you know, towards um, animals and welfare? Have you seen a change? I don't know that it has changed their hearts, but it has changed their activities. And so one of the things that I work on a lot is trying to end the circus use of wildcats here in the United States. And that had been a real problem for all of these years. And now because so few people are going to big events like that to go to a circus and be breathing the air of people sitting right next to them, it's caused those industries to kind of implode on their own. And so a lot of those animals are finally ending up in sanctuaries where they won't be bred and won't end up in those horrible situations again. I live in Florida, which is a red state, an open state. And so I see so many people flocking here because of the fact that our governor does not require mask mandates. And as a result, I think we're going to see a higher uptick here than probably some of the more uh, careful states in in the number of COVID cases. Do you think, it seems from the outside that you have a very clear mission, very clear. Do you think that having that really clear mission helps navigate you through criticism, abuse, hate, 
and distractions that might come your way in life? I think so. From the from a very young age, I knew that I wanted to protect domestic cats and kittens from being killed in shelters due to overpopulation. And I think the way to do that is through aggressive spay and neuter programs and making those free for low income people. But um, this whole exotic cat thing was never something I set out to do, but it was something that I thought that I could fix stupidly. I thought it would not be hard to fix it. And now it's like 30 years on trying to fix it. But I think I'm, I'm gaining on it. I think we'll finally get this federal bill passed this year. We already have a majority in the House and we're, we're hammering away at the Senate. So I think that it can happen. And I think that I think that I came here for that purpose. And so I've taken the position that, you know, these guys can hire hitmen, they can try to kill me themselves, but I'm just going to keep coming back until I set this whole thing right and finally have a world where all wildcats live free. And as long as that's my ultimate goal, nobody can dissuade me from it. Nobody can bully me out of it. Nobody can threaten me out of it. And let's say we got there. What would you do then? Then I'd go back to what I really wanted to do, which was protect domestic cats and kittens from being killed in shelters. Wow. You got maybe another 30 years to go on that then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to have to use another lifetime. I don't think yeah. I'm going to be so good at those. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, you've become wildly <laughs> yeah. famous across the world. What's it like to be famous? So many people want to be famous, Instagram famous, you know, you are. What does it feel like? What is it like in reality? My daughter said the one that one thing that she absolutely learned from Tiger King was that she does not ever want to be famous. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything without being stopped every step along the way. I can't go out to eat with my husband. I can't I can't even ride my bike to and from the sanctuary that people don't step out in front of me to stop my bike because they want to take a selfie or they want to say hello. And they're just being sweet. Everybody in person has really been lovely. And I appreciate that. I'm so thankful that none of them have turned out to be the horrible people that I've had to deal with on social media or on my phone. But um Man, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would ever aspire to be a celebrity if they ever spent five minutes with one, because it's just not the kind of life that I could imagine anybody really wanting. The paradox here may be being, though, Carol, it's probably got your mission far and wide and a lot more people. Um, you know, you're live streaming here, the other side of the world. So would you do it all again, knowing that you'd become famous and all the downsides, but you could get your mission out to the masses and change the world. Yeah, if you ask me that, I'd say yes, I would do it all over again. But that's because I believe everything is happening exactly as it should. And even when things are really horrible, I know that it's happening and unfolding the way that it should for the good of us all. But if you were to ask my husband or my daughter that, they'd say absolutely not. They never would have, um, <laughs> they would have just tied me up and kept me in the basement rather than let me talk to those <laughs> Tiger King. You did say earlier, Carol, that, you know, one of the, the worst things about this whole um, crazy roller coaster that you've been on was how it's impacted your family. So if you don't mind sharing, how has it impacted your family? For my husband, you, if you can imagine, if people were saying the things that were said about me, about you, that's not going to bother you much. But your wife is really going to take issue with that. Even though she may not listen to you, I'm sure she loves you. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going to constantly be feeling like she has to protect you. She has to speak up for you. She has to intervene on your behalf, which makes it's hard for you because you're like, no, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. These people just don't know any better. And then for my daughter, you know, it really showed her that she can't believe anything that she sees on TV. She can't believe the news. She can't believe the media because, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many things have I've been have been attributed to my mouth that I never said that have been in the media in the last two years. Wow, crazy. So, um, look, I don't believe everything I read on the internet and I always like to check, which is why I like to ask. Um, but I did see that um, you were asking for the latest 
the latest Tiger King series, you were asked to be removed from it. I wanted to check with you if that is true. And if so, why? Yeah, when we saw the trailers coming out for Tiger King 2, we saw that I was in it. And they had come to me after Tiger King 1 and they said, we just want to clear the air. And I said, lose my number. You know, fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. And so there was no way I was going to participate in a Tiger King 2. And then I see that I'm in the trailer for Tiger King 2. So we um, filed a lawsuit to try and get them to remove anything that they had put, anything that they had filmed from back five years ago in this new uh, show that they were putting out and the courts and we only had you know like I don't know a few days between the time that the trailer came out and the time that the show actually aired and so what we were trying to do was just get them to pull out the pieces that they had filmed without my permission for this episode we didn't, weren't trying to keep them from airing it they're going to say whatever they're going to say and do whatever they're going to do and there's nothing I can do to stop that but at least I didn't want people to think that I had participated in it since I hadn't and when the judge ruled against us and didn't give us the injunction to stop them until they pulled it and they went ahead and aired it, then we went ahead and dropped the suit because the damage has been done. My phone went to ringing off the hook again, people being all hateful again. The only good thing that came out of Tiger King 2 was that the attorney that they said was our family attorney, he was not, he was actually the attorney for Ann McQueen, but um, he had produced a document from Homeland Security saying that Don Lewis was alive and well in Costa Rica. And Homeland Security didn't even exist until five years after Don left. So that means at least five years after he left, he was still alive and well. I've applied to the FBI to try and get a copy of that where I could see the date on it, because I don't know if he was alive and well last week or if he was alive and well in 2002, because I couldn't see the date on it. I've not been able to get them to give me a copy yet. I also went to that attorney and asked him for a copy. He's not returned my call. So actually, one of my quickfire questions was going to be if you knew if he was alive and if you'd heard from him, does that mean you don't know for sure? And that's a no. No, I haven't heard from him. The only thing I know is this Homeland Security document and, you know, Homeland Security, who would have better intel than them? Hmm. So if you've never spoken to Joe Exotic, why I mean, does he hate you that much or is it just depicted like that on Tiger King? And if he does hate you that much, why does he hate you that much? Well, it's obvious that my name is on his lips all the freaking time. Um, what you never hear is me having any kind of discourse over that. I'm never saying anything rude or hateful about him. You can check back all of my social channels for the last 20 years. You won't find me being hateful or rude to him or anybody else in this industry. I only speak out against the abuse itself and would hope that these people would change their ways. And, you know, if they want to run a zoo, I don't think cats belong in zoos, but 99% of the zoos out there don't do this horrible cub petting and they do just fine. And so clearly they were able to get plenty of footage of Joe being all hateful. And I think the reason is they don't have a legitimate reason for what they do. They say that they do it for conservation and for preservation of the species, but none of these captive bred cats can ever go free. They don't serve any conservation value. If, if Tiger King had, had talked to any of the experts that we referred them to, they would have had expert after expert after expert saying none of this captive breeding is saving big cats. It's actually causing the extinction of these cats because it's creating a legal smokescreen for illegal activities like poaching. But nobody got to see that. All instead they got to see was a bunch of people behaving badly. This may seem like a, an obvious question stroke answer or maybe even a bit stupid, but I'm going to make myself ask it. But why do people captive animals and treat animals badly and have them for show and why do they do all this stuff that you're so against? I think the people who collect these animals and use them to kind of uh, bait in these sexual partners, usually very young women and young men that they bait in with the lure of the cubs. I think they do it because there's nothing more magnificent or powerful on our planet than a lion or a tiger. 
And if they can show their dominance over that animal, then I think it gives them a sense of being powerful. When, if you look at the lives of most of the people that do that, they never had any power in their lives prior to finding that as a way of getting power and getting getting sex and getting money and um, obtaining the things that they wanted by using those animals to that effect. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> um, do you think, Carol, that Louis Theroux, um, sorry, I've got my um, aligners in, I can't say Theroux properly, <laughs> Louis Theroux, <laughs> Do you think he created a more fair portrait of you than the Tiger King documentary? I, I really enjoyed working with Louis Theroux. He had done a show back in 2011 called America's Most Dangerous Pets. And he was the first person to really speak out about this industry. And I was thrilled that he did. And I thought, surely back in 2011, I thought people will see this and they would never support these kinds of people that are breeding these animals, using them, and then discarding them or housing them in these tiny little jail cells. And that didn't happen. And I guess it's like advertising. You just need to keep hammering away at people and show them over and over and over again until they get it. But after Louis saw Tiger King, he remembered that there was footage that had not been used from the first show. And so he went back through it, came over and talked to us and talked to some of Joe's family members. And what he found was as far back as 2011, Joe was talking about hitmen and having me killed. And so I thought he did a really good job of investigating that um, industry and specifically the people involved. Carol, I know that, um, well, I say I know, I, I only see what I read in the media, so I always have to say, I think I know. But I, I understand that um, Big Cat Rescue is a not-for-profit organization. So um, how do you keep it funded? And um, can you share any way where we may be able to donate or support your course? We are a nonprofit and it costs us between three and a half and four million dollars every year to keep the sanctuary afloat. And that is even after in 2020, when COVID hit, I had to let go half of our staff. We had 22 staff then, but now we have 11 doing the same work that 22 did before. So we're working our tails off. But um, thank you for asking that. The best way for people to find us, we are bigcatrescue.org, and we have a donate page there, of course. Now, Carol, I love talking about money. Uh, I think across the world, we're a little bit shut. Well, in the UK, it's almost grotesque to talk about money. And I want to change that because, you know, money is the universal exchange of value. And um, so if you don't mind me asking, how do you make your living if you run a, a nonprofit organization? Back in 1984, I started a real estate business. And so the real estate business actually supported the cats for the first 11 years. It wasn't until 2003 that we ever broke even on for the first time in the sanctuary that it started being able to pay its own bills. And I still run the real estate business. It was nearly decimated when Don disappeared because of the court-ordered conservatorship that took over everything for five years and just completely wiped out the entire business. But I've been able to build that back. And so that's what I still do. And then with the sanctuary, we do all kinds of things to try and keep our heads above water. We used to have tours, and that was about a third of our income. And the way our tours worked, unlike what you saw in Tiger King, that was a one day a year thing. But um, we would have about 20 people or less on a tour. And the tour guide would walk you around for an hour and a half talking about where the cats had come from and why we need to stop breeding them for life in cages and why they can't be set free because none of the no captive big cats could ever be set free. And that's another huge misconception that people had from Tiger King was that you can just turn these cats all loose somewhere. No, you can't. It's not legal. So for an hour and a half, people would be educated. And then at the end, we would take them inside and actually ask them to call their member of Congress to support our federal bill, which bans cub petting and phases out private ownership. And the ultimate goal of that call is that one day that will put us out of business. There shouldn't have to be a place like Big Cat Rescue 
rescuing big cats from horrible situations. We should just do away with those horrible situations up front and put an end to it and save them in the wild where they belong. So that was a, about a third of our income. And then um, during the conservatorship, what I did was there wasn't enough money in the conservatorship to fund the sanctuary. And so the courts allowed me to pull out certain properties and mortgages, and I donated those to the sanctuary. So the sanctuary has those um, unrelated income streams to help take care of the cats. And then, of course, we have donors. And so since 2020, we've been since March of 2020, we've been closed to the public. And that's costing us over a million dollars a year by not being able to have those tours. But we still have our donors. So, Carol, I always like to have a little bit of a Google. Um, and when when you Google my name and net worth, um, one of them says 70,000. That's wrong. One of them <laughs> says 700,000. That's wrong. And one of them, them says 250 million. And unfortunately, that's also wrong. <laughs> I wish it wasn't. Now, when you Google your name, net worth comes up quite close, you know, when it has the alternative searches. And some of them say you've made 2 million. Some of them say you've made 10 million. Has the Tiger King experience been good for, you know, you, you building your net worth? No. Um, that million dollars a year that we are losing due to not being open to the public. And when we closed in March of 2020, COVID hit on March 15th. So we closed our gates to protect our people. We didn't know back then that cats could even catch it, but we've kept it closed because cats can catch it. And then five days later, Tiger King came out and we had people th saying that they were going to rush the gates and burn the place to the ground. So we couldn't take a chance of somebody coming out here on a tour and throwing a piece of poisoned meat or something to one of the cats or doing something even crazier. And so uh, we've had to keep the gates closed. And so the things I've done since Tiger King have been to try and make up for that million dollar shortfall. So I did Dancing with the Stars and I've done some game shows, some that, well, they, I don't think any of them have come out yet, but you'll see them in the next year and did a few other things like that. But all of those added up did not equal the million dollars a year that we've lost. And I think a lot of people suspected that because of the popularity of our name, because of the name recognition, people know my name, they know the sanctuary name, that that would um, equate to an increase in donations. And it hasn't. Fortunately, the damage that Tiger King producers seem to have tried to do to me and my name did not harm us much, but um, our donations are right about even with what they were in 2019. So we're happy that we're able to tread water, but it hasn't been in, uh, a windfall for us by any means. Don't trust Google. <laughs> no. And those, the estimates on my value, it's like, uh, like you, I'm like, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And anybody can look up the sanctuary. Our 990s are on online. You can go to bigcatrescue.org slash finances. And we put our entire 990, our audited statements, everything there. So people can see where their money actually goes. Mm. Carol, if you had the time again, but you were going to be tipped off, on what was going to happen, Tiger King was going to come out and you could do it again. How might you handle it differently? What wisdom might you give to yourself the day before the documentary comes out? Yeah, actually, before the documentary came out, there were people that were saying, and I think this might have been, and forgive me, but you're not the same Rob Moore that did the Wondery podcast, right? No. So I thought that's who I was talking to today. Oh, there you go. <laughs> now you've got the younger, better looking version. <laughs> so Rob Moore had done a Wondery podcast that came out in August of 2019. So it was like, I don't know, six, eight months before Tiger King came out. And it was called um, Over My Dead Body. And it was this whole idea of this feud between Joe Schreibogel and I. And when the podcast came out, I sat and I listened to it. And through the whole thing, I was just thinking, I can't believe that this is what this guy got as a takeaway from this, because it just seemed like he was just parroting every lie he had heard from 
all of these bad actors. But then you get to the final episode and in the final episode, he says, but you know what? These people were lying to me and here's the truth. And he, he re reels off all of the things that he learned were lies from all of these people. And I just assumed that Tiger King would do the same thing. That's why I sat through seven episodes waiting for that last one where they would finally say, but here's what we found to be true. They never got to that part. But because of the Wondery podcast being in August of the year before, there were people out there who apparently never made it to the last episode who were saying, she knows more than she's saying. And so I thought, you know, people don't know any better than what they hear. And so I'll just put my entire diary out there. I've kept a diary since I was a kid. And so I know people don't read anymore. So I record a page out of the diary every single day. And I've done that now for almost two years straight. And I started putting that information out there so that people could see everything that I have known or know about it, even in retrospect. And so if I had known that Tiger King was going to be what it was, I would have had that whole thing out there before it came out so that people actually would have been able to find it. Cause I'm only up, I'm still doing it and I'm still only up to 2016, but, um, I would have done that. And then the other thing I would have done is when Tiger King came out, we had a PR director and my husband, and both of them were so shocked by having us having been betrayed so badly by Eric Good and Rebecca Chaiklin that they didn't want to talk to any press. And the press was all over us. There were over 400 outlets that reached out to me in the first couple of months after Tiger King wanting to talk about Tiger King. And I didn't talk to any of them for months because I was being told to not speak to them because they would just twist it. They would just, you know, keep pandering to the lowest element of their viewership. But I wish now that I had attacked it right from the very beginning and had that three months of, um, or it's more like six months, but that six month period that I was pretty much oh. silent I think I could have undid a lot of the damage that was done had I been willing to speak to the press. Thank you, Carol. I've now got self-worth issues, wondering if you would have accepted my request if you actually knew who I was and which Ron Moore I was. Well, I like disruptors because I think disruptors are the people who are gonna change the world. So what, whoever you are, it sounds like you're on the right path. <laughs> Hey, look, it, it's, that's a, a fun little story. That, that's good. I like that. If I was the Rob Moore of Wonder, Wondery, although when you Google Rob Moore, I'm, I am above him. So, but if I, was, if I was that Rob Moore, what, what would you want to say? What, you know, why did you accept this podcast if it was that Rob Moore? I thought he did a great job. I mean, it w there were things that I felt like he said or he left unsaid that should have been said. But of course you know, I'm biased in that respect. So the opportunity to talk to him again, I would have been fine with that. I think my husband still has an ongoing conversation with him about a book that he's writing about trees, I think. Um, but my husband and I didn't talk about the fact that I was on this podcast today, or he probably would have been talking to Rob saying, hey, I hear Carol's gonna be on your <laughs> podcast today. <laughs> well, I am the grateful beneficiary uh, Carol, so I'm happy. Um, you did say you would say there were some things maybe that um, Rob left out or omitted. What were those things? Give you a chance to say it now. It's just been so long, I really couldn't address it. Um, at the time, I created a web page, which is what I do for everything at bigcatrescue.org. If you go to bigcatrescue.org and just search Wondery, I'm sure you'll find the page and it'll go detail by detail of everything that what I wanted to do both there and I did the same thing with bigcatrescue.org slash Netflix is to go through everything that was wrong and bring the receipts, you know, show the documents from the conservatorship, how I did deal fairly with the daughters and um, so many different elements, you know, like they said, oh, she was so quick to want to have Don declared dead. Well, it was his daughter who went and got the death certificate, not me. And so, you know, just little things like that where people got the wrong impression because of either something being an outright lie or being twisted in such a way that it was presented um, to, to um, mislead them. 
I want to say I'm really glad you like the disruptors concept. Tell um, me about it. Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, we want to interview innovators, change makers, movers and shakers, you know, people who are being bold and brave in changing the world and bringing their meaningful missions and doing things differently. So that's the kind of concept of the show. I'm so glad you like it because I really felt like, you know, you fit into that, um, the brand and the angle of being a, a disruptor. You were also very disrupted by the media and, you know, talking to you, it seems, you know, I can't help but think, I don't have all the facts, of course, but I can't help but think it just doesn't really seem fair. But then on the other side of it, I think here we are and Carol's known across the world and she's probably going to change that entire industry. Isn't it funny how the world exists in these paradoxes? <laughs> yes, it is. And it, it goes back to my underlying belief that no matter how horrible something might seem, like COVID, as horrible as that is, look at how that has moved us forward, I bet you, 15 years in technology. And everything, I think, does happen for a reason, and all of it is for the better. Thank you, Carol. So a um, couple of shorter questions. And again, these are often to get the facts from you. So is it true you're owed half a million dollars by Joe Exotic? Uh, it's more like a million. Whoa. How does he owe you a million dollars? We had um, gone after his cub petting scheme. He was going around 52 weeks a year. He was going into malls and he would set up on a Wednesday and then through Sunday, people would come in, pet these poor little cubs every five minutes around the clock. And then they'd load up, uh, go back to the zoo, pick up new cubs, because an awful lot of the ones that they had would either contract ringworm or be ill or start aging out because they, once they get to be 12 to 16 weeks old, they can take a finger off a child. So they very quickly outgrow their usefulness. And so he was doing this 52 weeks a year and we started going to the malls and saying, this might seem to you like it's bringing people in, but there's an awful lot of people who would never shop at your mall knowing what you guys are allowing there. And so we would organize these email writing campaigns. And it was so effective that we got 200 malls to say that they would never have these kinds of exhibits again. And as a result, he went out and started calling his mall performance Big Cat Rescue Entertainment. And our name was copyright protected and trademarked. And so we had to sue him for copyright infringement. And he finally consented to a consent judgment. So um, he was, well, without all the detail, but we didn't have to go to trial. He just said, okay, I'll give you whatever you say you're owed, which at the time was between these two cases, we had about one, I think it was like 1,200,000, something like that, or 1,028,000. And so as soon as we got the consent judgment, then he turned around and filed bankruptcy thinking, I'll just wipe the judgment out. And so we had to fight him through bankruptcy court. And through all of that, my husband is the person who dealt with Joe and dealt with the lawsuits and everything else. But my husband's a Harvard MBA. He's a really, he's like Mr. Rogers. He's just like the sweetest guy in the world. And he's never had a tragedy in his family like I did with losing Don that people could use as something hateful to say about it. And so Joe couldn't pick on Howard. And the only thing he could do was to try and deflect attention by all of the horrible things that he would say about me. So that was how we got the judgment and how we ended up chasing him through bankruptcy court. Wow. I'm glad I asked that. Sometimes there's questions and I look at this and I think, I'm really enjoying this with Carol. I don't want to ask it, but I am glad that I do. I sometimes ask the hard questions. So thank you for answering that. Right, this one. Um, let's say you were sat down with Joe. You've got 15 minutes. Um, you have to do it. Um, and he has to listen and you get to talk. What would you say to him? You know, what I would want to know is why after he has spent time in prison and has said that he understands how cruel it is to put these magnificent animals in jail cells, why it is that he has not been willing to support the Big Cat Public Safety Act. 
why instead has he been a very loud voice against ending the cub handling and the private ownership of big cats if he really believes that? I, I don't understand his thinking on that. I've got a couple of silly ones now. I always try and have a couple of silly ones so we don't have to take these too seriously, but life's short, let's have some fun. Okay, option one, Carol. You're not allowed a husband, a, a family, anyone really in your life, but all the cats in the world. Or you're allowed a lovely family and nothing to do with cats. Which one do you choose and why? Well, that's weird. I just think of these silly questions because life's too short. And maybe you'll remember this one over all the ones you've answered every time over and over and over. <laughs> I don't think there's anything more important than your family. Good answer. <laughs> okay. If you could have one million pounds cash or one million engaged social media followers on top of what you've got, which would you choose and why? the engaged social media, they're going to make a difference. And we have an amazing social media uh, family out there. And I just learned yesterday, we have 800 people on our social media teams that are working for free, that are out wow. there answering questions and encouraging people to contact their member of Congress or to you know boycott the circus if it's overseas. So it was, I thought there were about 200. I just learned there were 800. It was like, dang, <laughs> you guys have been busy. Carol, could you give us a 15 second or less advice on dealing with criticism and hate? Consider where it's coming from. Nobody who's happy is criticizing and hating. Carol, where can we um, find more about you? We've got bigcatrescue.org where people can donate and see your work. Where can we follow you on social media? And is there anything else that, you know, we can go and um, check out to support your work? We are Big Cat Rescue on social media everywhere. After I was on Dancing with the Stars, they well, while I was on Dancing with the Stars, they wouldn't let me use the Big Cat Rescue social media. So I had to set up my own. And those sites, if you look up Carol Baskin on any of them now, are mostly dedicated to the kind of things that I think are going to disrupt the zoo industry. So it's the idea of monetizing these cameras in the wild and the NFTs and cryptocurrencies that I think are all part of that. Carol, this has been so much fun. Even though I'm not the Rob Moore you thought I was, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you, you for doing it. You be a great Rob Moore. <laughs> Thanks, Carol. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.